Welcome to Walk With Us, a series of podcast episodes to offer a greater appreciation of the world around us. Walk With Us by Peroni Nastro Azzurro are inviting everybody to walk with us, to walk the Italian way, with confidence and style. The passeggiata, meaning a walk in Italian, is a moment to express yourself and an opportunity to show your true style to the world. Hello, I am Catherine Ormerod. A little bit about me. I worked as a journalist for over a decade at titles including Sunday Time Style, Grazia and Glamour. And now I work as a freelance journalist and author and a ghostwriter. Today, I will be taking you on my passeggiata, my favorite walk and a ritual that I have become incredibly fond of. We might meet a few people on my passeggiata, all with different areas of expertise. They're just some of the people who live and work in my neighborhood. The plan is to go on a long walk to some of my favorite places, the types of places I go to relax and find some calm. Then I'll take you to my favorite stores in the area and stop at the pub for a quick bite and a drink. Come walk with me. So today I've chosen to wear a fairly voluminous black dress that moves really nicely in the wind. It's quite a warm day, so I didn't want to feel constricted by anything. Um, it's also got quite a lot of drama, which I think is a, a really nice feeling when you're trying to express yourself and feel a little bit more excited about your clothing. I think I'm excited every single time I go on a passeggiata. It's something that I look forward to all day. Um, you know, the, the rest of my day can be completely mundane, but I know that I've carved out this time for myself, so it's definitely something that I would get excited about. The three things that would be a must for me to do to get ready for going on a passeggiata would be to make sure that my jewellery is on. Um, that's something that if I'm just in the house, I might not put my earrings or watch on because, you know, they're a bit heavy or I might be typing, so I don't want my rings on my fingers, but when I'm going out, I definitely want my jewellery on. Um, I would definitely make sure that my eyeliner was on. It's my signature um, makeup look, so I wouldn't go out on a passeggiata without that. Um, and, of course, making sure that my outfit feels right. It doesn't necessarily have to look perfect. Um, for me, it's not, no one's taking my photograph or anything like that, but I would have to feel very comfortable and together and put together and polished and feel myself in an outfit. To me, there's no question that your style on the outside can have an impact on how you feel on the inside simply because it makes you move differently and walk differently and just feel like you are giving out a completely different attitude to the world. And I think that can be really transformative. So I'm really inspired by a new way of dressing at the moment. Um, it's a take on femininity, which comes from quite a feminist perspective in that it's not about flaunting your curves or showing off your body. Um, just the idea that that's what makes you a woman is is not really part of it. So, you know, there are really interesting shapes and interesting um, pattern cutting to create more voluminous and bolder amorphous shapes. And um, it's something that has been really influenced by a lot of young designers like Simone Rocha and 
um, you know, uh, uh, Cecily Barnson, who is a, a Danish designer, and um, it's something that I really, really love. I absolutely think you can't deny that first impressions are hugely important in so many areas of life. I don't think they're the most important, personally. I think, you know, second, third and fourth are often much more telling. But we do live in a world of a level of superficiality and people do make a judgment, a snap judgment on you on the way that you're dressed. And that can have huge impact on many things from you know, where you end up professionally to the friends you make. And um, I think we would be very naive to think that they didn't matter. My style tips for dressing with style for your own passeggiata would be to really wear something that makes you feel like the best version of yourself. So that's absolutely nothing to do with, I don't know, attracting someone else or impressing anyone else. It's really to do with impressing yourself. That has to be the number one thing. And obviously, as we all know, that probably will lead to other people thinking that you look great too, because all of this is always about confidence. There are so many things that inspire me about Italian style, and I always think back to the first fashion week that I ever attended in Milan. And, you know, at the point, I was still a young, hungry, green journalist, um, and I had absolutely no money. Um, so I'd borrowed a few outfits and botched together some things. Um, and I arrived there in Milan, and I was staying in one of the most ridiculously beautiful hotels. And I remember just arriving and seeing these women, one after another after another, coming out of the hotel, just dressed so immaculately, but very interestingly as well. I think, you know, a lot of people have the idea that style and particularly elements of fashion is, you know, dressing one way so you look a very expensive type person. And instead, what I found was Italian women dressed with such creativity um, and quite an element of rebellion in there as well, which I'd always associated with British style, not Italian style. Um, but of course, always with a requisite dollop of gloss and polish. You know, the shiny hair, the fabulous jewelry, um, perfectly finished manicures, all of that. And, I was just completely bowled over and it had a huge impact on me when I came back and, you know, I just aspired so much to be part of that world. As for style icons from Italy, you know, there are so many women over the years uh, that have really completely captured the imagination and I think, you know, when you look at Dolce & Gabbana's whole look at Sicilian women, Monica Bellucci, these absolutely gorgeous, classically feminine women with dark locks and huge eyes and you know it's films like the Dolce Vita and Fellini and all of that I think those are really the icons that have stuck with me and then you know you see modern women who are kind of encapsulated an element of that a Giovanna Battaglia type for example um, you know on the streets of Milan over fashion week and you see that thread going through the generations. And that's definitely something which I have always believed was completely iconic and so, so specific to Italy. I would say the Italian etiquette of style is to definitely make people aware that you've put effort into 
your ensemble. It's certainly not anything like, uh, say, Los Angeles attitude, which is you want to look like you've thrown everything on, maybe slightly screwed up on the floor and just walked out and, oh, my word, don't you look fabulous? That is definitely not the Italian way of dressing or their attitude to fashion. It's definitely something that is studied and they have no shame in the fact that they have put a certain level of effort into it. However, on the flip side, it's worn with such confidence that it almost comes across as nonchalant at the same time, um, which sounds like a strange dichotomy, but it's this acceptance that, yeah, you know, I value myself, so I've spent time in getting ready, and now I am very relaxed with how fabulous I look. If I had to use one word to describe Italian style, I would say class. Having class in literally every little thing you do, um, and taking the time to do things properly and with consideration and effort. We are going to walk to Clifton Nurseries, which is an amazing little oasis of green in the city. I've been on a passeggiata in Italy with a friend of mine. Um, I don't think she actually said, oh, we're going on a passeggiata. <laughs> it was more we joined the throngs of Italians walking along the, you know, avenues and boulevards type thing. Um, it was only kind of after that I was like, oh, that's, well, you know, you get out, you see all these other people doing it, and you're like, oh, this is a thing here. So we're just walking past one of my favourite houses in London. It's number one on the street leading up to Warwick Avenue. And the reason I'm always so captivated by it, it's got a glass house on the second floor, and then it's completely covered in foliage, almost like it's a kind of, I don't know, Jumanji mystical place. And I always look at it and wonder who lives there and think, well, I wish it was me. <laughs> so we're just walking up to Clifton Nurseries now, and I always think one of the most lovely things about it is it's almost a secret. Even when you're on the street, you wouldn't immediately notice it. It hasn't got, like, huge loud sign or anything like that. Um, you could very, very easily walk straight past it because it is that unassuming. But then you take a little turn inside and you find this whole kind of magical world. So I'm just walking into an uncovered um, kind of tunnel way. Um, and it's this narrow passage lined with beautiful trees and um, we're about to go under the, the archway, which kind of opens up into the nursery itself. I definitely think now, more than ever, it's important to bring a bit of the outside into your home um, because we're spending so much time in there. Um, having a connection to nature, for me, it was never before about so much green. I used to always feel it very much at the sea. That was, I, I suppose, like the most powerful example I used to feel, but more and more I'm realising that you need to bring elements of that into your everyday. And if the reality is you don't have the time every single day to be amongst nature, you've got to bring it in, you know? One of the things I love about it here is there are lots and lots of different plants which remind me of Italy. Um, you know, there are 
a whole range of lemon trees, for example, which reminds me of my time in the Amalfi Coast and drinking limoncello in Sorrento. And there are beautiful herbs which remind me so much of the foods I eat from the oregano and the rosemaries. And then there's a whole area of lavenders, which reminds me of driving through northern Italy from where I was born in, in an area in Munich, coming all the way down into northern Italy and going through these fields and fields of lavender. And it just reminds me so much of Italy. And I think when you're looking to, to make that step out of your everyday, the senses are so important at helping you to evoke that. I love catching up with people here, and today we're going to be speaking to Jack, who is one of the section managers here. Hello. Hey, Jack. How are you doing today? Hot. Really, really, really hot. You've picked a good day for it. <laughs> it goes without saying, doesn't it, today? It's like, whew. Anyway, but... Well, there's very little respite in this place from it. But... I can imagine. But also, it must be very good for the plants. To it is, yeah. It's good there. to get a bit of sunshine on them, but it also means that the watering takes a little bit longer. I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> so, what do you think it is about Clifton that makes it so special? It's, um... Well, first and foremost, so it's London's oldest garden centre. It's been here since 1851, uh, trading as a, as a garden retail space. Um, it's, it's just this little hidden oasis tucked away in the middle of all these buildings, basically. So we still have neighbours who live on the same block who've been here 10 years, and they come in, oh, I didn't know you guys were here, this is amazing. Um, so it's just that nice little tucked away, hidden oasis, really, right in the heart of, uh, of London. Um, the driveway is super narrow as well, super... So even even whilst you're walking down the driveway, you don't necessarily know what you're about to walk into until it opens up into into Clifton Nurseries. And it feels so like somewhere totally different, like you're not in London. We do get that a lot as well, yeah. I put that down to the, um, to the range of stock, actually. <laughs> not to toot our own horns too much, but um, no, it's um, absolutely lovely. And the grapevines help as well, obviously down the middle there. Uh, thirty odd year old grapevines there help to give it a bit of a Mediterranean feel and yeah, there are um, definitely hints of Italy here for me. You've got the grapevines, you've got the yeah, olive trees, olive you've grows, got the yeah. amazing um, you know, little archway here covered in bursting lemons. It's it's definitely got something about it that We try really yeah. hard with that side of things actually, the look and feel of the place. It's really important. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Lovely spot. So why is it important to evoke that look and feel? What do you think that brings to this place? It just sets us aside from others who are doing similar things. There are a handful of other nurseries in, in central London, but it's just so important to give people that little getaway, really, um, and just to have it on their doorstep and to surprise people and delight them with these um, beautiful things to look at, really, and a lovely place to be and to buy your plants. The nurseries are so beautifully kept and stylized and, and, you know, curated. Who does that? How do you achieve that? Um, it's, it's a bit of a team effort, really. Um, there's certain people with an eye for certain things, and obviously we play to everyone's strengths a little bit and put people where they need to be. From all of that experience of all putting in together and creating this beautiful space, mm -hmm. what would be your one piece of advice you could give for us to take away and make our homes and outdoor spaces beautiful? Ooh, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, I guess it's not as scary as it seems. It's not as hard as it seems to achieve really, really beautiful results. 
Yes, we've got a big team um, working on this to make it look amazing, but every time we make it look amazing, it gets shocked from and it changes and it evolves and things. It's different at home because you put it in and then you're the one changing it. So it, I guess it has to be, it has to be right for you. Yeah. You have to like it yourself. Um, I think little and often is the way to garden, actually. Less is quite often more. It's easy to think, oh, I know I'll go down to Clifton Nurseries, I'll buy everything at once and shove it all in. Not usually the best way to go. Um, most people have the best results coming in, speaking to us one-on-one, -on -one, few bits at a time, few pots, few plants, make sure it's right, then move on to the next bit and add bits at a time slowly like that, and then you can tweak it yourself a bit as you go. So it should be evolutionary rather than revolutionary? I think absolutely evolutionary. Um, all of the successful work that I've done in other people's gardens has been a very slow, gradual process of adding a few bits, seeing how it does, seeing how it works. Plants are fickle at the end of the day. The, the rules that they say on the label don't always apply. A plant that needs full sun can sometimes be fine in shade. Um, there's a lot of trial and error involved. Um, I'd say the more trial and error you can do, the more successful you'll be as a gardener. Amazing. Certainly. Thank you. All right. So the next stop on our passage Arta is Relic, which is an iconic West London vintage store. I can remember reading all about it as a younger woman in vogue and hearing how Kate Moss went there to rifle through all of the rails and then I got to go there myself when I moved into the area and now whenever of my girlfriends come into town from LA or New York or wherever they are living around the world I will always take them here um, to find a gem because there are always gems to be found. So I'm just here at the foot of Trellick Tower, about to step in. So let's go and see which treasures we're going to find today. There's bound to be something. And here we are, West London's most amazing emporium of vintage clothes. So I'm now here in Relic, rummaging through, just as I've done on so many afternoons and I've come across a couple of pieces that really epitomise to me that iconic, timeless Italian style. There's an amazing lime-coloured crepe top, sleeveless from Moschino, fabulous. It's actually from the Cheap and Chic label, which I remember so well growing up, and it's got buttons along the front, covered buttons. The thing that I love about it is this is probably some point in the 90s, but you could wear it so easily now, and it would just go fantastically well with so many different things. Um, I've also spotted a fabulous printed pair of Miu Miu trousers. Um, they're probably a little bit more modern, but they're cut fantastically, and they've got that amazing sense of um, silhouette that you find in Italian tailoring. We are now here with Fiona, who is one of the founders of this amazing establishment. So, Fiona, can you give us a little bit of information about your wonderful business? 
So Relic sits under the foot of Trellick Tower, which is an iconic building for the 1970s at the end of Goldbourne Road, um, under a council estate. So it's in quite a special spot. You have to know about it to find it. People come from all over the world um, to come and shop here. Um, we sell sort of designer vintage and just very unique pieces that basically just love. Um, it's kind of very well edited. It's kind of got a boutique feel about it and it's been here for 20 years. And how did it kind of come about? So uh, it started with myself, Stephen and Claire and we all had market stores down at Portobello Market. This is in the 90s and we were all doing very well. We all had our own little niche and it just came time to have a base and a place where literally you could set up more of a business so people could come and find you and you could do a more established business and that's, that's where the shop started. Amazing. So what is it about vintage that gets you? Oh, do you know what? It's the bits that I haven't found yet. <laughs> because every time I find something that I, that I just... It kind of does some butterflies in the lower of your tummy. Um, very hard to explain, but it's the thrill of finding something that you didn't know exist. So what is the best thing you've ever found? I have been asked this question quite a lot. And to be honest, I say it's the piece that I haven't found is the best bit. This is a question you've probably heard a few times before, but what does true style mean to you? So, style is actually, it's the wearer, not the item. So, someone, I was just talking recently about someone, I went to someone's wardrobe, I was invited, and he described how his wife, who had passed away, was incredibly stylish and beautiful and amazing, and, you know, unfortunately, when I looked at the wardrobe, it wasn't really matching the descriptions, a lot of acrylic jumpers and sort of quite cheap jewellery and things. But it, basically, the person who wore those things was stylish, the way she carried them off. So, it's actually how someone carries clothes off you don't have to have money to be stylish. You have to have an imagination and some flair. So I'm currently on a passeggiata, which is an Italian ritual that I've adopted for the day. Um, can you tell us your kind of take on Italian style and what's special about it? I mean, a few times I've been to Italy, I'm always really impressed at how incredibly stylish they are and especially the men. So I remember I went to Sicily one time and literally even at the airport everyone was wearing immaculate suits, sunglasses, everyone just beautiful shoes, everyone was just beautifully turned out. Um, I remember once being in an airport and seeing, this is in a, I think somewhere in Asia, on a transfer and seeing literally, you knew he was Italian, Italian man travelling from Australia to Europe in a full suit, tie, shirt. It's just, every, just every detail is thought about, everything is perfect. Have you ever had any sourcing adventures in Italy? I, I was invited to go to Italy and actually go to a factory. Sadly, it didn't get very far. I got to the factory and it wasn't really working. But then I met a man who, um, I can't remember the connection, but he would go to sort of places in Italy and got sourced from factories. And he'd been buying amazing vintage accessories, but he had like great taste, so he, he had made a good selection. He'd encouraged them to pick good things. But he also had an amazing selection of sunglasses, of which I bought a lot. Wow. Of which I think I only have a few pairs left now. Fantastic. <laughs> it's like there's a treasure around every corner, even a dead end is maybe going to lead to something. Yeah, and it, it, it all depends at the time when people have to let things go as well. Like I say, you know, a lot of the time you're sourcing things from people who might have been collecting for a long time and then something happens in their life or to them and then suddenly those pieces need to be freed up again. So it's sort of everything goes in cycles. 
So when you're sourcing such a broad variety of garments and from all different times, is there this moment where there's kind of like an alchemy between a piece that you might see in the 30s and something from the 80s and you bring it together and it feels brand new and fresh? Do you have that feeling? See, that comes down to the to the vintage sourcer, the person, the customer that comes in and does that for you, where they literally will go around the store, select, make a selection, and then literally they put them together. It, 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 clothes and items find their owners. It's very strange. It's like an energy. Going back to that, that's something that probably people don't know so much about, you know, fashion designers. Two decades of Vogue's. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then what are you going to do? You're going to look through them all or is it going to be for display purposes? I'm going to look through each and every single one of them because also so much of what we know in fashion that people source or understand is only what they see on the internet but from before the internet it was what 30 years ago there's so much stuff we don't know and it's disappeared there's so many shops that we've forgotten about that used to be the place that people go to to get their key bits um and they're all in there what would your top tips be for maybe a novice or someone that's looking to start to add vintage to their wardrobes i think um the beginning is to keep a very open mind and I think probably the best thing to do, obviously there's so much vintage you can buy online, but you need to touch it and to try it on and you need to start working out what shapes and sizes suit you. You need to work out certain designers that might suit you better than other designers. Um, and you need to just sort of get, get a good understanding of those clothes. So I would say just visit as many vintage shops as you can, um, develop some relationships with the people working in the shop. So if they do get things in that you like, they'll call you back. Um, and just give yourself time to try things on and be brave. Don't, don't feel like that's not me. You don't know. You don't know until you put it on. So we're just flicking through some of these bogues here and we've picked up an iconic issue from which month is it? Which month is it? It's the collections issue, September 1985, and Yasmin Le Bon is on the front, and we've got a picture inside of her in an amazing Isimiyaki bodice. Amazing. It's like a corset. Yeah. Incredible. And when you look through and see things like this, is it amazing when you recognise pieces that you've come into contact with over the years? Or does it just fuel you thinking, I haven't found that one yet? It actually fuels me, because strangely enough, they don't look like that when you actually find them. It's a bit like when you loan something to a magazine for a shoot, and when you actually see the photograph, it doesn't look anything like the item that you loaned. So it's more like, for me, it's inspiring to me. And it reminds me of also the sort of the styles and the looks um, that people, that obviously was going on this time, and that's what you're kind of, you might get into and start looking for. So it feeds my field to look. Definitely. And you were saying before that this, you know, this was how you consumed fashion. Back By magazines. When you were a younger woman, yeah. Because we didn't have the internet and so on and so forth. But wherever you lived around the world, you could pick up British Vogue and you would have an insight into it. And can you remember dressing certain ways because you'd seen it in magazines? Oh, yeah. I mean, I did, because again, we didn't have any, you know, any access to shops or any, or any money. So literally, I would just make things. I would be, I'd buy patterns. I, I remember going, you'd go to a shop where they would literally have all the patterns. They'd be all the designers like Isimiyaki, um, Yves Saint Laurent. They'd all basically sell their patterns and then you'd buy the get fabric that you wanted. You make your own outfit. Wow. But I mean, in, in Italian fashion, it was always the tailoring. They always had the best coats. They always had like the best shoes. Um, always the best accessories and yeah definitely tailoring um, I mean someone like Giorgio Armani fabulous I and mean, I'll still look out for his pieces now 
Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Fantastic. So many, many gems of advice and stories and this incredible shop. Long may it stand. Oh, thank you. Well, we're doing our best. <laughs> I think the Portobello style is so, you know, it's, it's reflective of London itself. Pretty much anything goes. You've got people who come from all different backgrounds from around the world, bring their own personal flavor and, and, and personal tastes. But also there's just this overall, I'd say like exuberance with color and self-expression. It's probably not, Actually, it definitely isn't as polished as Italian style. For sure, it isn't. It's much more eclectic and um, probably clashing and, again, probably slightly less ironed and pressed. So we've just walked onto a small, pretty narrow residential street. And you walk through and you see a few houses that all look quite grand and nicely kept. And then you suddenly come across this hidden gem. Um, and it's a beautiful, traditional pub. Um, it hasn't got all of the, you know, bells and whistles, I suppose, of one of the more flashy establishments. Um, it's still got lots of its original features, and it's the kind of pub that my dad would feel as comfortable in as I would. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really, really lovely little authentic spot, and it's a slice of this area's history as well. So many things have gone on here, and over the years I've been told so many stories about the Warwick Castle. So we're now here at Warwick Castle. I've just sat down, ordered myself a little bowl of olives to have with my Peroni beers. Delicious. And now I'm just catching up with a local. Her name is Lucy. Hi, Lucy. Hello. Thanks for speaking with me today. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about you. How long have you lived in the area and what's kind of your connection to it? You know, I've, I've been brought up here, actually. Um, we've got a little boat moored um, in Little Venice um, with my parents. We often are here at the Warwick Castle. Um, my parents have been coming here for years and it's really, it's got a, a very nostalgic place in my heart. Whenever I um, go away from home, I always come back for a lovely weekend to spend with my parents and we always come here for a drink. London pubs are so important to the communities here because they become the focal point of a neighborhood. It's the meeting spot for the community. Um, and, you know, it's a, a relaxing place to while away a few hours, to take that little moment for yourself, to reconnect with the people that live close by to you. And when we lose our pubs and the pubs close down, it completely hollows out the soul of a neighborhood and stops people from interacting in that way that really is the lifeblood of creating something special in a residential area. So what's really funny is after having walked this Passeggiata today, even though I've walked these streets so many times, doing it all together has given me this really renewed sense of how amazing my area is. Not that I haven't always been its number one fan, but, you know, really hearing all of those stories and the history and the heritage of these amazing businesses, which 
have created this incredible neighborhood and these incredible communities is really hit home today. What I've learnt about True Style while walking my Passeggiata is that there's this one theme that seems to run through all of the conversations I've had today, and that's this sense of evolution and really not immediately thinking that you can just buy style. Style is something which takes time to build and create, and really you have to get to know yourself and what's true to you and your tastes and your certain individual ways of expressing yourself to really be a stylish person. So thank you so much for joining me on my Passeggiata today. It's been such a pleasure taking you with me on my walk around my local neighborhood. And quite clearly, I'm sure you're all aware now, this area has such a huge piece of my heart. La Passeggiata is a ritual that the Italians have always walked, and now, Peroni invites you to walk with us. Now I encourage you to take up the ritual for yourself. Take the time to walk again to wherever you like. Meet some fascinating locals and enjoy what your local surroundings have to offer. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends who may like to listen, especially if they want to hear a little bit more about Northwest London. And make sure to subscribe to listen to others walk their own passeggiatas. Subscribe to be notified when other podcasts become available. Grazie. Ciao. For the facts, visit drinkaware.co.uk.